You are listening to episode 52 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. If you want to make progress, don't mind appearing foolish and silly where outward things are concerned, and don't wish to appear an expert. Even if some people think you are somebody, distrust yourself. It is not easy, you can be sure, to keep your own will in harmony with nature and simultaneously secure outward things. If you care about the one, you are completely bound to neglect the other. Enchiridion 13. After a short break from the Enchiridion, I start again with chapter 13, and I will continue to work through the Enchiridion chapter by chapter. However, I will take breaks from it occasionally to cover other topics or conduct interviews, as I did recently with the authors of two new Stoic books. Epictetus opens Enchiridion 13 with a familiar refrain, if you want to make progress. And then he lists what a prokopton must do to make that progress along the Stoic path. So what is Epictetus prescribing for us to make progress? Well, he lists two things in this lesson. First, he says, Don't mind appearing foolish and silly where outward things are concerned. Why? Because it's difficult to keep our will, our proheresis, that which is within our power and up to us, in harmony with nature while simultaneously desiring and seeking externals, those things not within our power and therefore not up to us. Second, don't wish to appear an expert. Why? Again, if we desire to appear as an expert, We are seeking something that is not up to us. Now, before we consider these two specific things that Epictetus lists in this passage, let's look at the overarching message. Some things are up to us, and others are not up to us. We learned that in Enchiridion 1. And as a refresher, the things that are not up to us are external to us, like our health, our financial success, other people's opinions of us, etc., Now, obviously, our behavior can influence these externals. Nevertheless, they are not entirely within our power. We can live a completely healthy lifestyle and still get cancer. We can work hard and save money and still end up broken destitute during a widespread economic crisis or catastrophe. We can be kind, helpful, and act appropriately, and some people will still have a low opinion of us. On the other hand, our reasoning faculty, our proheresis, is entirely within our power. It is up to us. So much so, as Epictetus teaches in Discourses 3.3, not even Zeus can override this power granted to us by nature. Therefore, once again, Epictetus confronts us with the distinction between what is up to us and not up to us. And we will continue to see this same theme in the Enchiridion because it is central to Epictetus' teaching and critically important for developing our moral excellence and progress toward well-being. Now let's look at these two things, not up to us, that Epictetus chose to highlight in this lesson. I'm going to tackle the second item first because the episode will be largely focused on the first item on that list. So in the second item, Epictetus warns us, not to wish to appear an expert. 
If some people have that opinion of us, well, that's fine. That's not up to us. Because it's not up to us, desiring that other people think highly of us or think that we are an expert is not in accordance with the nature of things. As Keith Sedan points out in his commentary, this passage could have two different meanings. Quote, When Epictetus warns against not wishing to appear knowledgeable about anything, he may mean this in a wholly general way. To have knowledge is one thing, but to have a desire to show it off and be regarded as a knowledgeable person is altogether something else and is inappropriate for the Stoic Prokopton. For placing one's well-being, to however small a degree, on the satisfaction of this desire is to rely on something that is not in one's power, something external and indifferent, and risks undermining one's good flow. But I suspect Epictetus means knowledgeable to refer only to a knowledge of good and bad. Moral excellence, the indifferent and external things, and of Stoic ethics as a whole. However advanced our progress, it is unlikely ever to be complete. And to impose our views on others is not fitting. For however severe their faults may be, even if our faults are less, our efforts should be applied to diminish our own faults, not theirs. End quote. Epictetus is focusing the attention of his students inward. If we desire to appear knowledgeable or more advanced in our progress toward virtue, we are making our well-being dependent on others who are external to us. We learned where that path leads in Enchiridion 1. Quote, you will be frustrated, pained, and troubled, and you will find fault with gods and men. End quote. I want Epictetus' message to be clear here. He is not instructing us to avoid seeking knowledge. The path of the Prokopton entails the acquisition of knowledge. Virtue in Stoicism is a form of knowledge, the knowledge of good and bad. Likewise, we are not doing anything wrong if someone happens to think that we are knowledgeable. Again, that is not up to us. The danger to our well-being lies in our wish or our desire to appear knowledgeable to others. Unfortunately, social media makes this a more present danger in modern times. It's pretty easy to fall into the social media approval trap where we measure our value by the number of people who like our posts and comments. Now we can move on to the second topic, which is the first item on Epictetus' list in this passage. He said, If you want to make progress, don't mind appearing foolish and silly where outward things are concerned. Why? Again, because Epictetus tells us it is difficult to keep our will, our prohoresis, that which is within our power and up to us in harmony with nature while simultaneously desiring and seeking externals, those things not within our power and therefore not up to us. So what could Epictetus possibly mean by appearing foolish and silly where outward things are concerned? Well, with Stoic teachings in mind, I think it's easy to imagine several ways a Stoic Prokopton might appear foolish and silly to others. First, most people in ancient and modern times would consider it foolish to focus one's full attention inward to experience well-being. Consider this imaginary scenario. You're standing around with a group of your close friends one day when you suddenly feel compelled to tell them you are embarking on a new philosophical way of life. Cool, one of them responds. What is it? It's called Stoicism. Another of your friends chimes in. I've heard of that. I guess you'll be developing a stiff upper lip, old chap. 
you politely inform him that's a mischaracterization of Stoicism. What is Stoicism about then, he asks. You tell him it entails paying attention only to those things that are up to me, like my judgments of impressions, desires, aversions, and intentions to act, rather than things like financial success, good health, promotions, fame, etc. Suddenly you realize the room went quiet, and everyone is staring at you curiously. Oh, but wait, you insist, there's more to it than that. You tell your friends you don't need those things because you've discovered something infinitely more valuable. Now they're really interested. What is it, Bill asks, as he leans forward in anticipation of hearing some great stock tip or about a Bitcoin cash that you've located or a cure for COVID? All of their attention is now focused on you. Well, I've discovered that developing courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom is the only path to true well-being. John spits his coffee out. Tammy just stares at you disbelievingly. Your best friend Bill walks over, slaps you on the back, and says, Ha! That's a good one. You had us all going there for a minute. Seriously, you insist, I've learned not to ask for events to happen as I would like them to. Instead, I now wish for events to happen just as they do. Really? John asks incredulously. Even if that means the loss of your job, your home, your legs, your child, or your spouse? Yes, you reply, as the laughter increases just slightly in volume. Your best friend Bill asks, how can you possibly believe something like that? As if the situation wasn't bad enough, now you must reveal the truth about how you can hold what appears to be such foolish and silly beliefs about tragic events. I believe the cosmos is providentially ordered, you say a little hesitantly. What? Tammy shouts. I must not have heard you correctly. What did you just say? I said I believe the cosmos is providentially ordered. Things happen for a good reason. All right, you've gone too far, she insists. Don't you know that science has proved the universe and humans evolved from nothing? Then she tells you to sit down while she explains how the powerful double punch of Hume and Darwin made belief in things like providence untenable in modern times. It's all the result of chance, she exclaims. With enough time, anything can happen. That providence crap is pure nonsense, she insists. Worse, it's nonsense on stilts. You need to stop reading those foolish and silly stoics and start reading some of the ancient skeptics. By now, the rest of your friends have stopped laughing. They're simply staring at you with their hands over their mouth and a genuine look of concern in their eyes. And you are feeling quite foolish and silly. Many moderns will applaud the tongue-lashing education that Tammy delivered in the name of science in this imaginary scene. Why? Because they agree that a concept like a providential cosmos is nonsense. They think it's foolish and silly. Meanwhile, they somehow overlook how foolish and silly the rest of Stoicism is to the average modern person. Here's a challenge to them. Go out to a busy street corner in any large city and try convincing those passing by that virtue is the only true good and it's the only thing they need for well-being. I suspect they will get just about the same response as the person on the other corner who's telling people to repent because the return of God is at hand. Most people will consider them foolish and silly. 
Yet some of these same moderns believe the Stoic axiom that virtue is the only good almost unquestioningly, while simultaneously arguing they need, quote, proof to believe in providence. Now, there are some good Stoic arguments for virtue as the only good, but there's no proof it's true. So why is there a double standard for evidence in modern Stoicism? If proof is the standard, moderns should reject both Stoic axioms, because neither is provable in any objective means. Ironically, traditional Stoics can provide a large body of scientific data that suggests an underlying rational order in the cosmos. We cannot point to a single person who is virtuous and living a eudaimon life. The ancient Stoics couldn't even do that. Yet many moderns reject the former as religious nonsense while accepting the latter as a life goal they are striving to achieve. Or at least that's what they say. If the holistic Stoic philosophical system relies on both of those axioms, as the ancients argued that it does, then we cannot cherry-pick the doctrines that we like while simultaneously claiming to be practicing Stoicism as the ancients created it and practiced it. As I have stated before, the Stoic system relies on several fundamental, unprovable axioms. To deny the validity of any of those fundamental axioms entails denying the validity of the system as a whole. The ancient Stoics understood that truth and taught it for the 500-year history of the Stoa. Several moderns have attempted to deconstruct Stoicism, remove the physics, and rebuild it as a secular philosophy during the last decade. No one I know of argues that they've been successful at that yet. Instead, They've opened the door to all sorts of nonsense in the name of Stoicism. Now let's get back to the theme of appearing foolish and silly. The religious aspect of Stoicism triggers many moderns. Unfortunately, the people most likely to call you foolish and silly, or worse, for assenting to the Stoic concept of providence, are moderns who claim to be practicing Stoicism. I know that from firsthand experience. I started the Traditional Stoicism Facebook group and blog six years ago with the sole purpose of promoting Stoic theory and practice as the founders created it, which includes a divine and providential cosmos. Some modern Stoics were pretty nasty toward us back then. They called us divisive, elitist, fundamentalist, and worse. Now, fortunately, most of that vitriol and those ad hominem attacks slowly died down over the past few years. However, most modern Stoics still consider assent to providence foolish and silly. Yes, if you want to follow the traditional Stoic path, the path forged by Zeno, Cleanthes, and Chrysippus, and later traveled by Musonius Rufus, Epictetus, Seneca, and Marcus Aurelius, you better be prepared to appear foolish and silly to some people. Many people in modern times recoil from anything they consider religious. That includes some self-identified Stoics. This is just a symptom of our secular age. If we want to progress toward virtue and well-being, we must pay attention to our faculties of judgment, motivation, desire, and aversion. In Chiridion 1, to keep our will in harmony with nature. As Stoics who assent to the holistic form of Stoicism, we must remember that the opinions of others are not up to us. We must have the strength of character necessary to follow the path blazed by the ancient Stoics instead of the one trampled by the modern herd 
who seek nothing more than mind hacks, success strategies, and simplistic psychological techniques from the Stoic texts. Finally, if we want to make progress, we must be willing to appear foolish and silly to some others. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Fire.